Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to part two of our coronary CTA, how we do it. And I mentioned as we were closing last time that the real challenge in doing a cardiac CT is getting a high quality data set each and every time, because if you have a high quality data set, it's fairly easy to read the studies typically. So what really are the challenges? And I guess I could put them into four categories, patient preparation, data acquisition, data post-processing, and data interpretation. So the first challenge really is this patient preparation, and that is the single most important part of the examination. So simple things, pre-test instructions, no food for three hours prior to the study, drink lots of fluids pre-study, but no caffeine products for about 12 hours. Take your regular medications. If you're on metformin, common medications for diabetic patients, discontinue use for 48 hours after the CT. It's a typical uh, precaution we always use with any contrast agent and patients who are on metformin or any of those different agents. Critical is speaking to the patient, whether it's the nurse, the technologist, or yourself. The patient must understand the study and all its components. They need to understand what's going to happen. Depending on your scanner, you're going to need heart rate control, so we talk about beta blockers. Other medications that are used, nitroglycerin many sites will use, and of course we're giving IV contrast, and that's something we will get consent on, of course, as well. We tell the patient many things. In terms of the exam, they must remain still and follow our breathing instructions. We practice the breath hold. We warn the patients that they're going to feel warm and flushing. And we make certain to focus on the job at hand. We tell them that, look, the study's success is dependent on you. Here's what we need you to do and work with us. And speak and deal with the patient very nicely and very calmly. If you have a technologist who's all kind of humping and jumping, it may not work all that well. Now, why can't a coronary CTA be done successfully? There are a number of reasons. Obviously, no IV access, severe arrhythmias, significant coronary calcification. There's no set number, but we do know the higher the calcification, the more difficult it is. High heart rate will be dependent on your scanner, obviously. At a 64-slice scanner, you're above 70-ish, you're going to be in trouble, but dual source, perhaps, you can get by in the 80s and even 90s. But number one is an uncooperative patient. If the patient is going to be breathing through the study, it's just a waste of time. So when you're doing cardiac CT in the ER, if the patient's intoxicated, if the patient just is difficult, you can't do the study. Don't waste time and do it. Wait till the patient's cooperative. Because you know, although we know that if the study looks like this, according to Crestor, the patient's cholesterol is out of whack, I don't do too many reports where I dictate cholesterol out of whack. Now, in terms of several parameters, heart rate, what's the impact of heart rate? We speak about heart rate all the time. Well, it's kind of simpler. The slower the heart rate, the longer diastole, and the better the CT data acquired. Cardiac arrhythmias are always a limitation. We used to talk about not doing CTs with arrhythmias in the 64 days. Now we'll do it recognizing it's going to take some post-processing. We talk about speed of the heart rate. Uh, 64 slice scanners, you want to be under 70, closer to 60. Even dual source, if you want to do the lowest dose study with flash mode, you need to be 60 or less. So too fast a heart rate is going to be problematic. So for that, we use patient medication. We use beta blockers. Uh, many sites will give beta blockers even if heart rates are in the low 70s on a dual source scanner, just to get them lower and lower, and not only a lower rate, but the heart rate becomes more regular. And again, we can often lower the dose with a lower heart rate and a more regular heartbeat. 
Typically, 50 to 100 metoprolol is used depending on patient size and the amount you need to bring down the heart rate. Uh, and again, we do talk about different scanners, but a dual source, you can get away with it in many scenarios, and we in fact do. In terms of metoprolol, use the rapid acting agent. Usually in about 30 minutes it works, although peak is about 60 minutes. You can use IV metoprolol. Some sites do that. Injecting 2 to 5 uh, uh, milligrams over a period of time up to about 20 milligrams total. Again, those are very short acting and you need to have the patient on the table when you're giving that IV metoprolol. We wrote an article a couple years ago that made the point beta blockers can be given safely to most patients to lower heart rate. A protocol for screening the patients can be done successfully. And just from numbers, for patients who are given olimatoprolol, 90% of whom receive 50 milligrams, decrease in heart rate by uh, 10 beats a minute for the first half hour and 16 beats per minute in the first hour. So you can figure out the heart rate, where you need to be, and for many patients, a hundredth the right dose. Recent article, same topic by Manabadi, talks about beta blocking and that short-term high-dose beta blockers are safe and reduce heart rate, uh, which improves image quality and diagnostic accuracy. He also makes the point that although some techniques and protocols like dual source may not require fixed heart rate, heart rate reduction allows effective use of prospective gating, tube current modulation, or single volume data acquisition, which reduces radiation exposure. So again, beta blockers almost create a second advantage, not so much the heart rate anymore or the regularity, but now we're talking about advantages in terms of dose reduction. Contraindications, typically what we speak about is patients who are being treated for asthma. Simply having asthma is not the issue. There are other things, obviously a hypotensive patient, severe bradycardia, are all things that can indeed be problematic. Once patients get beta blockers, we typically do not need to follow them after they leave the CT scanner. Uh, if you do IV contrast, we're a touch more careful, we wait about uh, 30 minutes. If somehow the patient's heart rate dropped too low and we've never seen this, atropine up to 0.04 milligrams per kilogram uh, is what's necessary to use. Now we mentioned about dual source scanning, that dual source can get around the need for beta blockers. And indeed articles like this one, dual source CT provides significantly better diagnostic image quality than single source, despite higher heart rates in the dual source group. These findings support the use of dual source for coronary artery imaging without the need for beta blockage. Or MAT, overall quality of dual source CT is sufficient for diagnosis within a wide range of mean heart rates and variability. Only heart rates that are both high and variable significantly deteriorate image quality, but the quality remains adequate for diagnosis. So again, this heart rate variability comes up. Uh, another article, heart rate variability and calcification. Calcification, uh, the heart rate, faster heart rate makes a bigger problem because you have a little bit more beam hardening. But again, this is a good reason for thinking metoprolol. Okay, what else? Nitroglycerin, uh, depending on the site, uh, people will use it. The key things are some side effects potentially with headache, the most common in patients with normal vessels. Typically 0.3 milligrams given sublingual about five minutes prior to scanning, so when you're doing the calcium score. Uh, we do not use a spray, some people do. And again, the key reason for nitro is it dilates the vessels up to 21%, and so 
There's no article showing that it impacts diagnosis. Um, it's something that we use at cath, and so many people felt uh, to use it at CT angiography as well. Sublingual nitrile spray significantly dilates the coronary arteries and shows better visualization of septal branches. In Europe, they use the spray. The problem is with the spray, you have to use it on multiple patients. How do you sterilize it? Much more of an issue here than in Europe. Again, side effects, tachycardia, flushing, but headache is the number one side effect that gives you a headache. Contraindications, recent use of erectile dysfunction medication, uh, so you want to speak to the patient about that before they come to the scanner. Hypovolemia, raised intracranial pressures, cardiac tapenade, and the like. So there are select contraindications, but the key one is for ED medication like Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra. Okay, just something very important to know, and that's uh, you know uh, very nicely true in almost any situation where you're going to give some type of nitrate medication. Now, in terms of IV delivery, the key thing, of course, is the rapid delivery of contrast. Your protocol will vary depending on your scanner. So make certain you understand your scanner, particularly the speed of the acquisition. You need to know all of your protocols. Many patients now can be done with 100 kvp instead of 120, and some can be done with 80 kvp, anything that reduces the dose. We inject contrast typically in the range of three to eight cc's, but routinely five or six is a typically our magic numbers. Right into cubital fossa, 18 gauge needle is of course ideal. And the average patient probably gets around 80 cc's of contrast. We use um, the Omnipake and Visipake products typically at Hopkins, but for coronary CTA we're using Visipake. Patients have less minor side effects like heat and warmth, and it's more renal friendly, and many of the cardiac patients are obviously older. When you're doing cardiac CT, a good measure of quality would be the vessel opacification should be at least 250 Hounsfield units, and we've had no problem with that. We're probably typically more 400 plus Hounsfield units on a routine basis. How do you define proper timing? Well, there's three ways of doing timing in CT for delivery. Preset delay, bolus tracking, and test bolus. And we can't get rid of test bolus because test bolus is going to be one of the things that we can uh, think about for many applications, but coronary CT is not one of them. So bolus tracking is the one people started with. You pick a point in the aorta, it hits a certain point, the scan starts. Again, your threshold will be set based on what area you're scanning. Your threshold will be set based on how fast you're injecting and how fast your scanner is and what the delay might be from the time you say scan till the scanning starts when you have to move the table. Old articles said that bolus tracking was better than test bolus, but they at the end of their articles said that they were doing test bolus incorrectly. I like test bolus for cardiac. Everything else we do tracking, but test bolus I like for cardiac because you're injecting 20 cc's, you're watching the patient behave, you tell them to hold their breath, you do everything the same like it's a CT scan, and so it's a practice run in many ways. They also feel the warmth of the contrast, so the second time they're not as surprised. And again, it's a fairly simple process. Either one works, but I really like this one in terms of ease of use. You then will get scans, low-dose scans every three seconds. You'll look at them. You'll pick the single brightest point, And on a 64 slice, add six seconds. And that's the time you'll be scanning. Now, 
you typically start scanning at 10 seconds post-injection because the, uh, the timing will never be uh, that short. And typically we talk about 17 to 27 seconds. The average is probably in the low 20s. So again, pretty easy to do in an example. Here you see the contrast in the pulmonary arteries. You wash out the pulmonary arteries to start to, and now the aorta is getting bright in the coronary arteries. And you follow it up, and here the aorta is really bright, but look at the pulmonary artery. This case shows several things, this test injection. One is it shows that the pulmonary arteries peak earlier by six to eight seconds than the aorta. A great PE study is not a great aortic study, which is one of the challenges of dipping, doing a triple rule out. And you can see very, very nicely here, we now know the peak point. It's very easy for us to do this. So this test bolus works very nicely. Here's another example. And again, your timing of when you start scanning is very dependent on the scanner. So underscan your scanner well. And here's picking a point. And there it is very nicely looking at the test results. And here's the actual scan. Patient, by the way, uh, had a root repair for Marfan's and has a aneurysm uh, at the site of reimplantation of the right coronary artery. Very nicely shown, nice opacification. You see all the components of the patient's surgical repair. Very nicely done there. And here's the vessel tracking, okay? And here's just another example, same thing. Uh, bolus tracking and you have very nice visualization uh, large ventricle and again just a very nice example so the key thing of course is doing this study correctly in terms of timing now with dual source things can be a bit easier we inject a bit faster because the scan times are much shorter uh, some people use a split bolus we're not big on that but we do always flush with saline um, so that becomes very important Okay, what else? What other challenges do we look at? Calcified plaque and coronary CTA. We mentioned before about excessive or ex plaque, um, but what is extensive or excessive plaque? Is there a specific score? We did a survey a couple years ago, and uh, people said over a thousand. But then we said, do you take people out of the scanner? They said no. They came and they're getting the study. Well, when you have excessive plaque, things can be more difficult. Now, to me, it's not just the number because you can have plaque distributed over the vessel and it's a high Agassiz score, but it's not bothering you. When it's really focal, it can be problematic. There's an article by Hecht a couple years ago that made the point that there's no arbitrary score. It's really your experience. People who are more experienced can get by with higher numbers. Again, um, he had a lot more experience when he made this statement. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that if you have a high calcium score, you're going to spend a lot more time doing the study. So it's very, very important that you really spend that effort because it is indeed very challenging in the presence of high calcium score. And in this article, the, uh, the guidelines from the uh, SCCT say there's um, no specific point that it's left to the discretion of the referring physician and attending physician, which is the radiologist. So again, I don't have problems with these cases. Plaques are extrinsic. I see very nicely the vessel lumen when I rotate things around. And these are in MIP, which accentuates the problem. But you can get an idea of what I need to be doing to be able to see each of the vessels. Or this example. I showed you this case before in part to show you calcified coronary arteries. This patient scores over 1136, but you would say perhaps we shouldn't do him. But I knew there would be a difficult study. This was a friend of mine, 
But look at the vessels. Look at the patient's LAD. You see that critical stenosis? That would have been missed. That was the source of the patient's pain. But if you did not do the study because the score was over 1,000, you wouldn't have been able to make the diagnosis. So our rule is we, look, we don't look at the score truthfully right then and there, but the score is not the dictator of what we're going to do. I do know if we see really impressive calcifications, you could potentially um, weight and score the patient. But more important than score, try to look at the vessels and see distribution. I think it's that very heavy calcification that becomes a problem. So in this case, it could have been a problem more proximal, but where the patient's stenosis was, things were okay. So sometimes you get lucky. We also find in this article by Vivari, the presence of coronary artery disease in non-calcified segments is substantially lower than in segments with mild, moderate, or severe calcification. Well, that tells us what you know already, that usually vest, if you see an area of significant calcification, there is some disease present there beyond the calcification. Uh, the point that uh, it can be graded upward is an interesting point. It also doesn't say that the absence of calcification means the absence of disease. And in this article, clinical utility of MDCT angio is to identify a patient with obstructive coronary artery disease has been shown. However, its utility for determining the presence of substantial coronary artery disease in a segment is limited by the presence and extent of coronary calcification. And that indeed is going to be a challenge. Uh, work is going on. We talked now. There was an article published just this month. I showed it in my talk at RSNA. I didn't put it in here yet. Uh, that... Um, what you can do is you can use iterative reconstruction for really reducing the dose. So that may indeed be a po very possible uh, way of solving this. Now, a critical thing in terms of dose reduction and image quality is going to be how you acquire the data. And there are two typical ways, retrospective versus prospective. Prospective, you get a signal from the RO wave and it triggers scanning at a set point and uses only a portion of the cardiac cycle. The key thing, of course, think fast, is low dose. Problem is, if you're off to the right sweet spot, you have problems. Retrospective, you have continuous acquisition, so that's easy. You can see everything. You can reconstruct 20 different ways. Uh, data can be reconstructed anywhere in the R interval. The downside is that for the patient, it's higher dose. And higher dose is something we don't want to do. And these days, we're talking 15 to 18 uh, in the retrospective, though probably it's closer to 10 to 12 now. But uh, with flash acquisitions or perspective, you can get it in one to three range. So again, it's something to think about. And what we're going to do is we're going to stop at this point and we're going to pick this up next time. And with that, have a great day.